Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Well, in case you haven't noticed, the theme, our unofficial theme for the last few weeks of episodes have been around job seeking, being laid off, having a sudden need for finding a new role. These are wanting to up-level your career and feeling like maybe you can't do that in your current position. Those are all things that I'm hearing from a lot of you that you want to hear about. So that is why I've had a couple episodes, one on job seeking advice. Meredith McCleary came and spoke about her experience being laid off. And that was I know, powerful for a lot of people and, and relatable for a lot of people that reached out to me and thanked me for that episode, as well as I just spoke with with Rob McCall on Tuesday. And while he's not necessarily a job seeker, he's a leader within fraud, he did talk about his transition from being a manager to a director that I think, I hope will be helpful for those of you who are kind of mid-career, maybe in a management role and are thinking about what's that next step and what do I need to know and think about and be aware of and all of that. And today I kind of wanted to follow up on the previous job seeker advice episode I did where with a little bit more advice from other people within the industry. I asked Fraudology listeners to provide their advice, whether from the perspective of a fellow or former job seeker or as a hiring manager. And not surprisingly, so many of you reached out and provided some really good like information and suggestions and advice. I was kind of blown away by how much time a few of you put into providing that information. So I am looking forward to sharing that on this episode. But there's also a scam that Rob McCall mentioned that I have heard about too many times in the last few weeks that are targeting job seekers. And so I'm going to talk about that first. Just on a kind of a personal note first, I'm actually recording this on my birthday, which I know is kind of ridiculous, but I did that by choice. My birthday falls on a day in American history that is pretty tough in the month of September. I'm sure you can figure it out. And so for the last 21 years, I haven't really celebrated my birthday on the day. And also I kind of procrastinated a little bit, to be very honest with everyone. So that's what I'm doing today. But actually on the day that this episode comes out, I will be in San Francisco for one of my favorite things that I really haven't been able to do since before COVID. Honestly, the last one was the very last day of January in 2020. So and that is merchant meetups. There is nothing like getting fraud fighting practitioners. Merchants are kind of the shorthand people that work for fintech and marketplaces and e-commerce that are on the ground fighting fraud. And it's something that is super passionate to me. I feel like I'm a merchant at heart, so to speak. But I've had the privilege of creating these in-person merchant meetups in different regions throughout the U.S. For the last 12 years, I started them at the 
Trade Association I worked for. I know they have a different name now, but they still carry them on. And I'm proud of starting that there. And then I've done them throughout the years since starting my consultancy, either with Card Not Present or with co-hosting with a sponsor. And this week, I will be at a brewery with Ravlin as the sponsor that's co-hosting this event with me and about 75 awesome fraud fighters in the Bay Area. So I can't wait for that. There's just something magic about getting our peers together face to face. And this is something that I'm really hoping to do more of throughout the U.S. to start. I mean, it'd be awesome to do more international merchant meetups down the road, but <laughs> cost effectively and everything. I mean, I guess if there's a sponsor in Europe or Asia that would like to talk to me about that. Let's certainly chat. But you know, flights are a little bit more expensive from the West Coast to Europe or Asia or Middle East. The reason I'm sharing this, though, is because in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be releasing a survey for Fraudology listeners. And one of the questions is you know, where you would like to go or where you would like me to go. It's probably somewhere near you within a couple of hours drive or something like that in the major cities that you'd like me to consider going to for a meetup. That would be super helpful. Obviously, I know that there are a lot of fraud fighters in the Bay Area and also in the Seattle area and New York and Chicago, et cetera. But I want to know where fraudology listeners are in the U.S. so that we can start planning those. And I think we're hoping for three to four fraudology themed meetups or fraudology live podcast recordings in 2023. And I am so pumped for that. I mean, I really love talking into a microphone by myself, but it's even so much more fun when we can meet in person. So that was just kind of the personal note I wanted to start with was just if that's something that sounds exciting to you or you have a little bit of FOMO about where I will be and where several other fraud fighters will be this Thursday in San Francisco, I want to go a few more places and hopefully one of them will be where you are or where you can get to easily. Okay, so let's dive into... <laughs> I just feel like there's no way to just take an easy right turn on this, but I'm first going to talk about the scam that's targeting job seekers right now. I first read about this uh, LinkedIn post from someone I'm connected with a few weeks ago. I've since heard a few variations of this, and it sounds like it's really heating up. And as if there aren't enough scams and schemes and fraud happening in this world right now. Oh my gosh, seriously, there's about six of them that are so big. Check fraud being one of them. Frank McKenna came and talked about that two weeks ago. That continues to just grow and grow. I got a note from a fraud fighter that works for a, a very large company just this week week asking me if I am familiar with check fraud on a specific bank. And I said, well, I don't think it's bank specific. It's happening a lot. And they said that their parents have been hit twice in the last month for very large dollar check fraud. So it's just gut-wrenching. But this specific scam that's really on the rise is targeting job seekers who are so vulnerable and hopeful and feeling the uncertainty and the stress. And those are, you know, scammers that target consumers. Unfortunately, vulnerable people are their favorite ones because they feel like it's more believable or they'll be believed more. And it's infuriating and angering to me, but that is their MO. 
So I realized that most of you who are listening are often on high alert for signs of a scam. And so you may see this or, or see something like it and have your spidey sense, so to speak, go off. But you know, there are a few variations that are getting more difficult to identify, especially for people that are anxious to get back to work after a layoff. Like I said, Rob mentioned one of these on Tuesday's episode where he had spoken to a victim that day of this scam and it's just heating up and I really haven't seen any articles or anything about that in mainstream media that doesn't mean a lot if I could clone myself I would reach out to them about so many things because there are a lot of types of fraud that need coverage to consumers so they know about it but this is one I just I haven't heard anyone talk about so I'm going to dive into it a little bit and what I figure is even if you are not a job seeker it's important to talk to your family and friends about this as well as your company and I'll go into more of that after I explain what the scam is. So as we know, job seekers are on LinkedIn and they are looking at job descriptions on third-party job websites and all over the place, right? Trying to look for the next right position. And the way this scam works is that a recruiter reaches out via LinkedIn or email. I think sometimes they'll have a job posting listed in different sectors, marketing or human resources or really any area. But I think a lot of times it's executive level or younger, but I can't even say I honestly, as I say all that, I feel like I don't I haven't heard about enough of these to know exactly who they're targeting. They've kind of been all over the map. So some of them have been fresh out of college. One of them has been more executive level. It just I don't know if there's necessarily a preference there. I haven't seen enough or know of enough data to be able to say that for sure. But they're reaching out to a job seeker to ask if they want to apply for a job. They know that if they just offer them a job right away, that's going to be suspicious. But they're really capitalizing on the fact and taking advantage of the fact that so many roles now are remote. So gone are the days where you go to an office to interview someone. It's pretty much all via Zoom or Microsoft Teams or phone call maybe at first with a recruiter. And so they're taking advantage of the fact that it is completely normal now to apply for a job without ever meeting anyone face to face. So they'll provide a job description with a legitimate company's logo on it, and they'll go through the full interview process, often with a couple of different people on their side. So recruiter in quotation marks, as well as hiring manager, et cetera, and actually go through the interviews, which is just insane to me. But it's obviously something that they've done a cost benefit analysis for on their side and feel like it's worth it, that the payoff is worth it, apparently. So eventually, after the interview process goes through, they will offer a job with a full compensation laid out with benefits and with competitive salary. One time I know they negotiated pay with someone. I mean, it's not their money. It's not their pay. So of course, right? It's so sad though, because they'll provide a start date and everything. So the person who applied and interviewed for this job is excited that they're going to have a paycheck soon and they're going to have a job and be able to make an impact and feel like they have a purpose, which by the way, everyone has a purpose, whether you have a job or not, but I know that feeling. So there's just so much emotion wrapped up in this and they're telling their friends and they're telling their family and they've probably stopped looking for other jobs because they got one. But from here, one of two things will happen. Either they are instructed to purchase technology like iPads or computers on their own credit card and send the items to the company to upload their systems. So the company that you are applying for, instead of them saying, hey, we will ship you a laptop from our supply, it does happen, especially in the startup world where they'll say, 
hey, we're going to give you a stipend for your home office or here are the specifics of the type of laptop that you're going to need with the processing power, et cetera, depending on your role. And there are all these proprietary systems that you need to use and not all of them are SaaS and accessible just via the web. So we need to install them. And that sounds fairly plausible. So people will go out and buy, you know, MacBook Pros, iPads and other things. So they'll get iPads, computers. Those are the two big main ones I've heard, but I know there's, you know, other ones too, but, and then other types of laptops as well, some PCs, et cetera. Oh, a phone as well. I've heard needing to get the security software on it that's specific to the company that the person can't just download. But I'm sure you can assume and guess that after the employee at this point sends the products to the company, in quotation marks, they never see those products again and are ghosted. And so there's, you know, a week or two where they're like, wait a second, huh, that's weird. They're not getting back to me. And then they might reach out to the actual company via their website and say, hey, I interviewed for a job. I'm starting there on this date, but I sent you guys my laptop and iPad and I haven't gotten it back yet. And usually that's when they learn that they won't be getting those back. And for this part of the scam, there is a potential for chargebacks, even though it's a victim-assisted scam and it's not true card fraud. If they were bought online and not in person, I'm sure they will call their bank and talk to them. And if it's a CMP transaction, I could see some chargebacks this way. So maybe something to educate customer service about in addition to HR, if you believe that your company will be a target for this, or if you've already heard that, or at least have your radar out for somebody in customer service reaches out and says, hey, have you ever heard about this? I'm laughing just because Rob and I were talking before the interview the other day, and I was saying how fraud in general, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, how it seems like some companies undervalue or don't understand how difficult it is to replace someone in fraud. It's not the same as in a lot of other positions because there's so much domain expertise. And I said, you know, I know from experience and I know every fraud fighter I know has had this experience at one point where there's some crazy mystery in the company, whether it's anything to do with checkout or payment or just weird wonky things that the customer service hears or other areas of the business. And they almost always come to fraud and say, hey, do you know? And we usually do because we have to know all those areas and all of those anomalies and everything with where we sit within the company and what we see. So that is just something I could see happening because Swiss army knife. That's what one of my former colleagues used to call me at a previous company was the Swiss army knife because I kind of knew a lot about a lot or a little about a lot, maybe. <laughs> but tried to utilize different tools and, and you know, could help with a lot of different things. So some job seekers are not being told to purchase technology. Instead, and this is something I actually learned in the interview with Rob McCall, but in case you haven't listened to that episode yet, or if you listened to it a few days ago, I'll remind you. Rob shared that after talking to a victim, they said that they were asked for their bank account. So after they were offered this job, and unfortunately they, they were offered a job at Uphold, but not on behalf of anyone at Uphold, and they called the company, and I believe they called customer service to say, hey, I'm starting there, or I think I'm starting there, or I don't know what's happening. And what they were instructed to do was in order to get their stipend for their home office before their start date, 
they were told that they needed to provide their direct deposit information. I believe he also said that they were told they had to download software as part of it as well, allowing them access to see what the username and password was that was logged into online banking for deposit or I'm a little bit sketchy on that, but I know that they got the bank account information and they were able to drain the account. And that is both instances are infuriating, right? Most people who are unemployed and looking for a role don't have a lot of disposable income, but neither do the elderly, neither do other people on fixed incomes that get targeted for scams. The people, and often it's overseas, but sometimes it's here in the U.S., the people that are committing these scams really lack empathy, so they're not caring about that. They're thinking, oh, this is someone who will believe me and I will get what I want. And that is infuriating, but we know the drill. So whether it's to ship products you know, expensive products to the company to download software, or it's to provide any bank account information before you start or to set up HR or anything like that. Those are huge red flags, but hopefully you're doing some digging ahead of time to be able to know that this role exists. And I tried to think about ways to do that. I mean, without contacting the company, one thing that I would say is if it's a role within our sphere, you look to see if you have a first or second connection on LinkedIn with somebody there and reach out and just say, hey, you know, I was contacted about this position. I am aware that there's some weird scams going on regarding remote jobs. Just want to make sure this is, you know, actually a real job or I have a call with such and such recruiter. Does that sound right? I think that most of us in fraud would be happy to respond with a, oh yeah, absolutely. And put in a good word, or you might interview with me later or whatever that is, or, ooh, I don't think we have that role, or we don't have a recruiter named that, or we don't work with that third-party recruiting company, whatever that is. That's one idea I have. I mean, I'm sure there are others. I don't know if, if you're reached out to and solicited to on LinkedIn, can you check and see if that job posting is listed anywhere else? Just things like that. And then, you know, in the interview process, like double check, right? Look up to people's names that you're talking to. Do they exist on LinkedIn? In. If they do exist, how many connections do they have? How full is their profile? Those are just some tips off the top of my head. I'm sure some of you have even more brilliant ideas, but I'm not as well-versed on scams targeting consumers as I am e-commerce and marketplaces and fintech. I mean, I think I know them pretty well, but little shaky. So there might be another way to do it. But I think it's something that it's great to know on a personal level. And like I mentioned, share with family and friends, maybe post on your social media, you know, if you want to, or if you think it's important or that you might have people in your network that should know this. But also, I think it's important to inform your company's HR department, just in case they're contacted by a victim of this scam or if customer service, maybe alert the customer service manager. I don't think you need to send a note to all of the customer service, but it sounds like they're especially targeting companies who have remote work positions open and that have good reviews on job sites like Glassdoor or others. So those would just be a couple things to look out for. Yeah, my sense of justice just, I mean, I just can't. <laughs> it's so frustrating. I mean, this is why we are in this industry. I know we all have this shared sense of justice, but it can sometimes be discouraging that we can only do so much and that it sure seems like in the last two years, the volume on scams and fraud and just all kinds of things are just getting turned up real loud and it can be very frustrating. But I'm going to switch gears now. <laughs> 
some more actionable advice for those of you who are seeking jobs or maybe soon. Like I mentioned before, I asked at the end of the podcast episode two weeks ago, we didn't have a Thursday episode last week as it was a short week in the U.S. But the week before, I had provided some of my own tips on resumes and identifying the right next job and being able to utilize LinkedIn in different ways than maybe some people do and in more advantageous ways, I think. But I asked you guys for advice and experiences and suggestions. And I did that on LinkedIn as well. And as always, my network did not disappoint. I really have the best network and that's including all of you. So I'm going to read all of these actually. First from hiring managers, then from job seekers. I do have one thing that I've actually found myself suggesting to friends lately who have been laid off since I recorded that last episode that I'll share at the end as just kind of like a parting thought. <laughs> but I'm going to first start with some advice from hiring managers. This first person is someone who has been on my list to want to interview on the podcast for a month or two. And I really need to circle back to schedule with them because especially after reading this, I was like, okay, I really need you on this podcast because you're awesome. So, and I mean, that goes for everyone. I always think that people within fraud have valuable information to share fraud or trust and safety. I mean, I really want to expand more into trust and safety and content moderation as well as into banking and other parts. Obviously, I know e-commerce and fintech and marketplaces the best, but I know that a lot of you aren't necessarily in that spot and want to know about other areas. So that is something I'm hoping to work on in the next few months as well as in 2023. Okay, I'm going to get started reading these. So here's the first one. They start out by saying hiring manager here. For a remote first company that is mission driven, that translates to we get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of applicants for every open role in my department because they do have a company. They do work for a company that is very mission driven and very specific to they're very aligned with their values. So I can see how that would happen. They said, I have actually been contemplating writing up something for this. So I'm glad you're doing it. Number one. First off is folks applying for roles should recognize that the industry is maturing quickly. That means there are lots more people out there than ever before, and therefore roles are becoming more competitive. Delays in getting back to you aren't always because a company is disorganized. It's simply incredibly difficult to review 200 plus applications a day for multiple open roles, in addition to doing our other jobs. Number two, the cover letter isn't dead. I know some people never look at them, but for me, a well-written cover letter can be make or break, especially in roles that have some customer-facing aspects. It shows you're thoughtful, can communicate well, understand the role, and tells me more about what you think is important. If you do it well, it will make a difference. Number three. Okay, I work in the online dating industry, and this is we see the same method with people looking for a date as to applying for jobs. Spray and pray, i.e. send out as many first contacts as humanly possible and hope one comes through. The issue, of course, is low quality. It's a huge time suck for hiring managers and recruiters, and it can't possibly be working for job seekers. Just stop. Focus on what you want and what you're qualified for. I think I said something similar on the previous episode that I did on this, just not doing a little bit, just scattering it everywhere. Instead, being in intentional about the roles that you go for and hiring managers that you reach out to and all of that. 
So number four from this hiring manager, which leads me to dot, dot, dot. If I have two open roles in the same department, one more senior than the other, and you apply to both, it actually makes me question your self-awareness. In my opinion, it's best to choose the one you really want and are fit for. If you do apply for both, write really detailed cover letters explaining why you're qualified for and would be happy with both. Be specific. I agree with this so much. I think it can not just look like desperation, but also, yeah, it can make you question, well, are you too senior for the lower role or are you too junior for the higher role? And are you just, are you being intentional? Are you even qualifying for either role or are you just spraying and praying, as she says. <laughs> I'm using quotation marks, but I know you guys can't see those, and I'm not ready to get on YouTube yet, so <laughs> just have to envision it. Number five, network, all caps. We're on LinkedIn, so we probably all do this, but stay in touch with people you got along well with at previous jobs. Check in with that old awesome boss every once in a while. Post on LinkedIn. Send a how are you doing email. Celebrate people's successes. Tell folks in social situations that you're job seeking. Join professional organizations and networking groups and chat with people just because. Be super friendly and awesome to everyone and they'll remember you. 95% of my jobs have been from networking and being remembered from a previous job and recommended for a new one. And on the flip side, because I get hundreds of applicants for every role, networking is a big time saver for me as well. If I already know of someone through previous communications who I think might be a good fit for a role, I'll let them know and I'll fast track them through the process rather than just rely on who happens to apply. That said, it's okay to reach out to hiring managers on LinkedIn if you apply for a role, but don't badger them or do any cool, neat tricks to get their attention because that just puts you at the bottom of the pile. There's so many things for me to unpack here, but I think the biggest ones being the ones that I highlighted and definitely networking. And I think what I read in their suggestions about networking is very similar to what I said two weeks ago, and that is don't focus on what they can do for you, provide something that you can do for them. Even if that is spinning it, hey, you know what, I just applied for the role and I just, there wasn't enough room for me to tell you that da 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 da, da or whatever quick, but like a couple of highlights or I'm really excited about the role, you know, whatever that is. But instead, I think it'd be great to be like, hey, you know, I see that we are connected to a few people or establish some kind of common ground first before just asking them for a job. I think it's important to be personal, especially the more that we are relying on technology these days, the more everyone appreciates the personal touch. That's my own additions there. <laughs> Moving on to another advice from fraud manager, but also kind of for fraud managers. So uh, it's a little bit different, but I think it's good advice. For fraud managers who are hiring, move quickly. We're all swamped, but even with hundreds of applicants, I'm prioritizing that first filter to a phone screen with an SLA of four days since submission. In a job seeker's shoes, I'd rather be rejected swiftly than try to hold on to the possibility of interview for weeks or months. For job seekers, quantify your technical skills and accomplishments where possible. Knowing what SQL is versus using it on a regular basis to independently gather data or perform analysis is quite different, and it's helpful to share your deck. I think that's very similar to what the hiring manager said in the previous episode as well, is what makes you stand out? especially if there are several people from your company, your previous company, all in similar positions who are more than likely applying for the same roles, especially if they're remote. Sion is a great partner and the exclusive sponsor of Fraudology through 2022. I don't only vouch for the Sion founders, Tomash and Benz, 
But as I've gotten to know more about their company, they're really one of the safest and secure fraud prevention companies out there. They're fully GDPR compliant and even ISO 27001 certified, which is just a fancy way of saying that you can trust them with your company's data. And a lot of companies do. It also means that you can connect Sion to other platforms and tools. You can provide pre-KYC checks so that you can sieve out fraud before having to pay more for biometric verification and document checks. They also have a comprehensive transaction and account risk product that provides machine learning and behavioral biometrics at the time of account opening or transaction. And if that wasn't enough, Sion's data doesn't just stop at saving you money and stopping fraud. Sion's data can also be used to identify your high rollers and top valued customers. To learn more about Sion and their pre-KYC fraud prevention tools, go to Sion.io. That's S-E-O-N dot I-O. Also, I'd love to provide every applicant coaching and feedback, but it really isn't possible or even allowed with many organizations. So don't take a rejection as a failure. Every applicant is valuable and probably even could fit in at my org. But realistically, we make a judgment call for the role. Finally, be picky. I'm so much more selective with my employer now versus five to 10 years ago. Even if I'm a good fit, I need to judge my hiring manager's communication style, the organization's risk tolerance, and mostly their product trajectory. Fraud will always be around a fight, but the product or service may not. And I do know that that's something that several people who have been laid off are thinking about. When I have conversations with them, they're thinking about, is this company stable? Is it not? I've had a few people that, you know, and, and oftentimes I can't respond to every LinkedIn message either, no matter how much I really wish I could, and especially not as thoughtfully as I could. But when I I mean, kind of going back to the note from earlier, if you're active and comment on my post and you or I've known you in person, I'll usually try to prioritize those first just because that's, oh, it's somebody I know, right? And it's a connection I already have versus someone I don't know. I just, I can't do it all. And that's how I prioritize. So adding that to this, but I do think asking for questions, oh, I know what I was going to say. So I've had a few people reach out to me who I've known over the years and have said, hey, I'm looking to apply at this company. What do you think of them? Especially if they're a fraud technology provider. I get those fairly often. Sometimes I'm like, I mean, some of their customers aren't super happy and, you know, or whatever that is, but that doesn't mean that you can't go in and fix it. But here are some of the things I've heard, just so you're aware. Other times it's, oh my gosh, I know they're a startup, but everybody is crazy about them. Like this could be the goldmine, go for it. <laughs> Especially if the CEO reached out to you directly. And it really was the CEO because I know them. <laughs> I felt because of the job scam thing I just talked about, I needed to add that. Okay, going back to this person's advice. This is a new person's advice. And I love the way he started it. And he, I hope, well, actually, we're already coordinating a time for this person to be a guest on the podcast as well. But they started it out with longtime listener, first time caller. My advice is to be bold. You may really need a job, but the job is also looking for you. Know you have value and understand your experience, perspective, and sometimes your network of contacts will take you a long way. Reach out to folks. Ask questions. The worst that can happen is that you find out you don't want to be a part of their team. At minimum, you get another industry contact. Your background might not directly align with a role, 
but lean into that as a positive. Maybe you don't have fraud banking experience, but what about you is needed in this parallel fraud path? Really using transit skills that you can you know, transition to that next role, translatable skills. General advice, YouTube has tons of job prep and mock interviews. I didn't know that, but of course they do. I'm sure TikTok does too. <laughs> I'm just feel like I'm too old. Listen to Carice's Fraudology podcast. You'll hear names, experts, and companies, and you'll find the industry is smaller than you think. That's very kind. Do your research so you ask better questions. And finally, make sure what you pick is a fit for you and where you are in your life. It's okay to say no until you find the right spot. Now, the one thing I would add to that is when people are in between jobs, it kind of feel like there's a ticking clock in their head. Not everybody has a savings account. Not everyone has a backup plan. I There have been plenty of times in my life where I did not have that. There are times when, you know, it is important to be picky, but maybe you take on a side job. Maybe you do something in the gig economy. Maybe you become a delivery driver. I know of one fraud fighter who in between roles started cleaning offices at night. They were able to stay home with their kids so that they could save money on daycare, but then at night went and cleaned offices. I'm not saying any of those are glamorous, but they're things that you wouldn't need to put on your resume, but that can help you get by. So I think that sometimes those things can sound like they come from a place of privilege when you're told to make sure that you pick what's a great fit for you and where you are in your life. But I also think it's the best advice as somebody who has ignored that gut feeling a couple of times because I needed the job or I needed to get out of another job or it sounded great on paper. And even though in my gut, I was like, I don't know if this is going to be a great fit with the hiring manager or the team or whatever it was, I still went with it. And then two to three months later, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm miserable. I have very similar advice. I think it's really important for the interview to be a two-way street. But at the same time, take what you need to so that you can get by and survive. And so you are not stressed out. And maybe even it is just taking another role in the career for a few months. And then you can decide, you know, I mean, I don't want to give that advice too much because obviously it's very expensive for those companies to hire somebody and then have to re, you know, retrain people and things like that. But do what's best for you. But when it comes to a long-term role in your career field, I do think it's important to be picky like this very amazing fraud fighter and fraud leader had to say. So I have a few more from former or current job seekers that I think were really helpful that I want to share with you next. So I'll start with this one. It's not truly fraud specific for job seekers, but I think it's interesting. So this person said that they found a great plugin which compares resume with job description and analyzes a percentage match and provides keywords. Downside is it retains personal information from resume. So like with everything, it's a trade-off. I have often said just in general, and I think I've said it at least on once on the podcast because somebody very nicely quoted me in a LinkedIn post about it. But, you know, I think as consumers, we need to be conscious about when we are exchanging our privacy for convenience and kind of weigh that out. And so for this type of thing, that's a plugin into your browser. Just know that additionally, plugins get data about what you're searching and what you're doing and all of that. But it might be helpful if you're feeling like you're not getting just even that first interview with a recruiter to see if your resume is matching those keywords. I know that a lot of companies now are using automated software to kind of weed through a lot of the, the resumes and applications at first to kind of decide which candidates the recruiter will reach out to. And then from there, the recruiter then decides who gets onto the hiring manager, but just that first step. Not all of them are accurate. Some of them are going to 
ask for too much information. So I would recommend like with hope, I would assume a lot of you do this already, but looking at apps and plugins and all that, what permissions you're giving them, what data they're retaining. Oftentimes a lot of these free services, whether they're apps or plugins, are making their money by selling your data. In some cases, they're selling your data to the companies that we all use to verify orders. So it's kind of the full circle of data, but I'm not at all saying it's a bad thing. It's just important to be aware of where your information's going. And then I would recommend removing the plugin once you use it. But it is good to know that that's out there and it could be a helpful tool for someone. So the next note is from a listener who is one of the people that I know, at least, who've listened to the podcast every like week that it comes out, twice a week. And I am so grateful for everyone that listens, no matter when it is. But he literally sent me this note the day of or the day after. And I know from speaking with him that he often listens to the podcast while he's running and training for an Ironman race, which I will never understand. But I appreciate it. <laughs> I hope it's entertaining. Okay, so I'll dive into what he had to say. So I just listened to the Job Finding podcast. As requested, here are a few tips that I would add. Number one, it's better to reach out to a connection before applying to a role. So a connection that works at the company that you're applying to. Internal bonuses normally only apply if they refer you before you apply. And that then gives a bonus to the person who referred you. That's a great way. And also, I know that for some companies, they do prioritize referrals if there's an internal bonus program for that job. Not all companies do it, but I know at least for the company that my husband works for, that's the case. I know he's often feels like he needs to be selective on who he refers to. So I would say I wouldn't recommend asking someone you've never met or that doesn't know you for a reference, but I guess you could reach out and say, hey, we've been connected on LinkedIn for a while. I'm about to apply for a position at your company. If you would get a bonus if I applied, would you feel comfortable referring me? That might be one way to do it. And my husband's hesitation is always, well, what if they don't do a good job and then it's going to come back on me and I certainly have had those fears before as well. So I also try to only give personal recommendations to people when I've really worked with them quite a bit and feel good about saying yes, absolutely, and stamping my name on it. But I think that that's a great tip. Number two, I've had better luck reaching out to the hiring manager's boss with something insightful, such as I heard you speak on blank and then add what you liked. And I just applied to a role with this person's team. I think that that's good advice. I think, you know, it could be helpful to look up how active that hiring manager's boss is on LinkedIn. Are they on there often and would they maybe welcome a message or do they just log in here and there and they're going to open to 27 different messages? And that would be what I would do. But I think all of these are really good and you take what works for you and you leave what doesn't. So number three, I do love this one. And I think Everyone should apply this one after I just said, take what you want. But if you are actively searching and are jobless, try to accomplish at least one thing a day, not job related. When I lost my job due to COVID, I started running and working out every morning. After that, I applied to 10 jobs. That was my routine. Mental health is just as important for landing a job. 110% agree with this. Really, you know, a lot of times you can just kind of feel like a robot and you're just applying and applying and you're not seeing a lot of results and you're not feeling like you're making an impact because you're not in a job and just it's 
it can feel very monotonous and routine. And so I think it's great to try to do at least one thing that isn't work related and that helps you feel better. You know, if it's not working out, maybe it's meditating, maybe it's playing with your kids and just being in the moment. For me, I like to play with my dog because my kid is 18 and not the same. But, you know, when I'm playing with my dog, I'm often not thinking about anything else other than playing tug of war or something or getting a tennis ball dropped on the toe that I just recently broke because I didn't pick it up the first time he dropped it next to my foot. <laughs> I digress. Okay, the fourth tip that this awesome listener added was buy LinkedIn premium. It allows recruiters to reach out to you for free and puts your resume at the top of the list. I didn't know that about the resume at the top of the list. I can tell you that when you're looking at a job posting on LinkedIn, which I know a lot of people do now, because a lot of jobs are posted there. And if you're on LinkedIn anyway, why not? They have a ticker kind of at the top that says how many applicants have applied. I recently learned that's not connected to the company. Really, all it is is how many people have clicked on the link to go out to the job description. That is not how many people have applied. So I've heard from people before that are like, oh my gosh, this job has been up for eight hours and 250 people have applied. I'm not even going to bother, especially when these people are very, very qualified for the role. The first thing I said to them before I knew this part was, well, that doesn't mean they were all qualified. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that apply for roles that they're not qualified for. You know, what one of the hiring managers just mentioned. But now I know that there's no way for LinkedIn to know how many people filled out an application on another company's website. All they know is how many people clicked the link to read the job description or look at the application criteria outside of their website or their app. So just something to keep in mind. Okay, here is another one. For fraud fighting folks out there looking for a job, be sure to choose an organization that sees your true value and does not treat you as a necessary evil. Remember, an interview is a two-way street. You should ask the right questions to understand how you will fit the position and company. Like, what would make me successful in this position? What examples of KPIs am I expected to meet? Will I be rewarded for meeting those KPIs? If the KPIs are not met, what is the internal learning process you have in place? What technology or vendors do you use? Do you like those tools? Do you offer stipends for certificates or learning courses? How could I get promoted? I think those are all great questions. I would say it's really going to depend on the company and if they have an established fraud program on if they can answer all of those. I feel like the majority, I mean, I guess I didn't have too many jobs like on the ground as a fraud fighter, but the ones I did have, I was really starting everything. So for me, a few of those questions wouldn't have made sense. But I do think it's important. What do you care about most in a fraud program? You know, are you looking at approvals? Are you looking at this or that? And you can also get a feel for what their perspective and what the company's perspective is on risk and fraud. I think there's, you know, also just there's a lot to be said about the fact that you are interviewing them as well as them interviewing you. I say this quite often to a lot of people when they reach out and ask for advice on interviews and that kind of thing. I know what it's like to feel that pressure as a single mom. I'm not anymore, but as a single mom, when I would apply for positions, I would feel the weight of the world on my shoulders just to get a job. So, you know, in quotation marks. But I think it's also important to ensure that it's the right job so that you aren't bringing home too much stress and that you are providing for your family and that you feel supported and appreciated. And I think those of us who have been fraud fighters on the ground know what it's like to not feel appreciated and how frustrating it can be. So I think that that's, you know, those are all really good questions to, to think about asking. 
So here's another one. This one's very specific, but I thought it was interesting. So this is also kind of for fraud fighting practitioners more than support staff, as I call them, or, you know, solution providers in the vendor space. But as someone who came from the merchant fraud operation side of things, I cannot stress enough the benefits I received learning SQL in depth and a little bit of Python, not only for the immediate benefit to the role I was in at the time, but also for the opportunities those skills unlocked for me going forward. Someone asked in the comments, do you have any resources or advice for learning SQL while working full-time? I've been finding it difficult to find free resources that are easy to navigate while working 50 plus hours a week. Doesn't even surprise me that fraud fighters are that dedicated, <laughs> but I think it was a great question. So they answered free, dot, dot, dot. In my opinion, you get what you pay for a little bit. But yes, there are free courses that come highly recommended, such as, and then he provides some on C, Khan Academy, W3Schools.com, YouTube by Alex the Analyst. And then they said, in my opinion, the best courses I've found for getting started aren't free, but aren't super pricey either. Jose Portilla's SQL for Data Science course is excellent as probably what I attribute to really getting going with SQL. And it looks like that's available on Udemy and it's called the Complete SQL Bootcamp, SQL, of course. Also, Danny Ma's Serious SQL is easily the best SQL course I have ever seen or taken. I'd call this one intermediate, but it's super worth it. And it's cliche, but bears repeating. If you work in a company and that company has a lot of data, get access to it and get playing with it. Actual practical experience and problem solving is what will tie everything you learn together. So sometimes I'm asked about like certifications and all that stuff. And I do think that for the most part, if you're in e-commerce or online banking fraud, it's better to look at certifications for the skills you need rather than for the knowledge in fraud and payments. But that's just my perspective for now. I think that right now, just with what's out in the market and SQL is a great example. If you enjoy digging into data, if a role that you are wanting to get into is really around data analysis, then knowing SQL is important. Other times, it's not. I mean, full disclosure, I only used SQL for a couple months in one of my roles and then I never did again. And I completely forgot about it. But it is also good, though, to I do remember by taking it, it did help me know how to kind of phrase questions for other people getting data. Right. So knowing kind of what they need for that, because, you know, kind of the SQL query and the way it works. So that can be helpful. That it really depends on what part, right? If you're going to be a product manager within fraud, you probably don't need SQL. But especially if you come across a lot of job descriptions with that as a requirement or even something that would be nice to have, might be worth looking into. Okay, a couple more. As a recent job seeker, I found taking time to realign from where I was to where I wanted to be was helpful. My layoff was unexpected, but it allowed me the hindsight to see the things that were roadblocks to my success and progress. Things I couldn't put a finger on when I was in the position, but had an unsettling feeling about. Those hurdles helped me form questions to ask in my interviews and gave me a new priority perspective checklist for my next company. Take some time between jobs. It helps clear the emotions from your decisions. So that is very similar to my own advice I was going to provide. I found myself giving this advice to two or three people that I've become friends with who recently were you know, laid off or who one of them decided to take a break and go kind of more freelance and, and consulting route. A couple others were reshuffled or laid off and redundancy. And I suggested that they do something to kind of not celebrate, but like commemorate the ending of that job. I feel like there have been a couple of times when I look back in hindsight to my own career path where I just went from one to the other 
I mean, quite literally in one job. I ended it on Friday. I got married on Sunday and I started my new job on Tuesday. I look back and I'm like, that was not smart, Carice. I mean, it took no time to like grieve or anything else. And I do think that this person's advice of taking some time is really important. But I think you should also do some time to reflect or do something that just kind of commemorates an ending. I wrote down a few things too that now I'm going to try to find in my notebook while I talk. So it'll take a second because... I write everything down. But okay, so especially if you were really like invested in the role and the company or if it was part of your identity, I certainly didn't realize that my last job in the corporate world was so a part of my identity until a couple months later. And I was finding myself kind of depressed and grieving and feeling like, who am I and, and what value do I have? And so I think had I taken a couple of days and just like journaled or did something to kind of commemorate that or, you know, made lists of and this is something I like to do is write lists instead of just journaling, but we all have our different styles. But you could write lists of what you did that you're proud of at your job and then make sure that's in your resume and or your LinkedIn profile. Make a list of what you're not going to miss at that job, especially if you were laid off or found to be redundant. What are you not going to miss? That might help you like get over it. I'm not going to miss the guy that put fish in the microwave every day. I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot more than that, especially since a lot of us are working remote still, but it's just the first thing that came to mind. And then what do you want in your next role? What's important to you? Like this person says, it was helpful for them to kind of take a step back and reflect on hmm, what were those things? How was I not supported? What were those things that were questionable that I can make sure that is going to be different in my next role, or at least I can address it or or share my expectations or share the best way that I respond to management or whatever that is. So I think that's important. Other ideas I had were to go to a rage room. A lot of cities have them now, or you can just go, they give you a baseball bat and a hard hat, I think, and you just crush old TVs and microwaves and things like that. Or you can create one. That's what I did for my daughter during COVID. I went, once there were some secondhand stores open, I went and got some ceramics, mugs and plates and things like that. Put a tarp down in the backyard. I warned the neighbors. And then we, well, she first just started slamming them on the ground and we had a baseball bat and things on the tarp. And I did it once and was like, oh my gosh, this is, I did not think this was going to be so wow. Like just... It was a big release. I found that yelling or screaming or saying the thing that was really stressing me out while I threw the mug was very cathartic, but you can do <laughs> whatever works best for you. Give away all the company swag. If you're like, you know, I have all this company swag and I could care less about them or I'm mad at them or whatever. I mean, cut them up into little pieces. Give them away. Do whatever. I know I worked for a large bank for just a few months before I got pregnant with my daughter. And this is, I mean, obviously like 19 years ago. But they would make us sign something that, you know, they gave us a lot of T-shirts with the bank's logo on it. And they said that we had to sign this thing saying we wouldn't donate them to any houseless shelters or any secondhand shops or, or thrift shops or anything like that because they didn't want to dilute their brand and see someone experiencing houselessness or something like that wearing a shirt with their brand on it, which I just thought was bananas. But if you worked for a company like that, cut it up in little pieces. I don't recommend burning it. Just I think you guys are getting my point, like something to just feel like, OK, that chapter is over. I feel a release. I feel like 
Could make because otherwise I know for me, like when I look back, it's oh, okay. I went from one job to the next and I never really processed the first job. And I never really reflected on the stuff that I wished I'd done different or the way that I reacted to certain personalities or what I would have done different in certain situations or what I needed out of my management that I hadn't gotten that maybe I could communicate to my new management, you know, in a way that would just help us all start in a good way. So those are things I wish I would have done and that's why I've provided them. But I've heard from from the friends that I provided that feedback to. And it was after I recorded the first episode. So it's just been the last few weeks, but they were like, you know, that was really important, you know, good for me. Other ideas, have a ceremony or a funeral for your job. Commiserate with fellow coworkers who are also laid off. Play with your kids or at a beach or with your dog, just something in the moment. And I think a combination of these are good. And then the last one is therapy. I think we all need therapy. I actually, after moving, need to find a new one. And that's something that's been on my mind the last few days as I reflect and, and recognize some patterns that I'm not happy with for myself. So, you know, that's good anytime. And obviously I recognize that not everyone's going to have insurance if you've been let it off and all that, but, you know, do what you can. And oftentimes there are community resources and that sort of thing. Okay, this is the last tip that I thought was good and I intentionally put it at the end. The biggest thing as a job seeker that I cannot stress enough is hold on to the resilience. And I should say this came from somebody who was very resilient. I watched them for weeks and months, you know, on LinkedIn and applying to jobs and everything else. And they ended up getting a great one for a company in a position that they actually didn't think they were qualified for. So because they were active on LinkedIn, because they were tenacious and resilient, they actually, a hiring manager came to them and said, hey, I think you have these skills and we'd love to, you know, help you with that. So anyway, great person to listen to. So hold on to the resilience. You're going to get burned out from applying and interviewing, but you have to keep it consistent. The process is lengthy, even for more basic roles. Factor that in when you're hunting and don't stop applying until you have that offer. There's a period at the end of every word in that sentence. So that's why I read it that way. <laughs> and even then, don't shut any doors until you are official. I had an offer rescinded because of changing business needs. I've been told I'd get the next interview and then get, uh, we decided to move forward with other candidates email a few hours later. The other thing is, and I'm beating a dead horse here, but network. I got the role I am in now because I asked about future opportunities for the company and they built me a position because my manager, who is a phenomenal leader, and I agree with that, believed I'd add value. I was fortunate to get a few other offers around the same time, but I went the way I did because of the way I was treated and valued well before I started. I wanted to end it on a high note because this is something and sometimes it's helpful for me to think, okay, in six months, is this going to feel as big? In a year, is this going to feel as big? In five years, is this going to feel as big? And obviously that's not to belittle where you're at and the stress you're in and uncertainty, et cetera. But sometimes it just helps me to put it in perspective. Or I remind myself of some of the hardest stuff that I've gotten through or gone through in my life and made it out okay. And I'm like, well, in retrospect, this isn't as bad as that. So if I could do that, I can do this. Because whatever you need to remind your brain and remind you that this is not going to be forever, but that you also don't want to rush it. You don't want to just apply to everything and, and hope something sticks because then it's not going to be the right job for you or for the company, right? And be thoughtful. I think that's really the theme in all of these tips. As per usual, this episode ran longer than I anticipated, but I really hope that it was helpful for you, gave you some ideas to think about or maybe work off of and, and kind of continue down that path to think things through. I am going to continue to try to support you guys in the best way that I can. I think I'm not planning on 
doing a lot more of episodes on this topic just because it's something that we've covered, I think, from most angles, though, when the hiring manager of the large company that's been hiring a lot of positions is able to record that, I will do. But otherwise, you know, I'm going to try to get back to some fraud topics, but I know that this has been is so important and is such a stressful time for so many people in our industry that I wanted to at least use my platform to try to help in some way. And the other thing I love is just how much the people within our community community want to help each other. So thank you again to everyone who wrote in and provided advice. I really appreciate it. It is my favorite thing. And hopefully one day I'll have an even better way for fraud fires to communicate with each other. But for now, I am the conduit of information and I hope it was helpful. With that, I will look forward to speaking with you next week. And you are in my thoughts if you are looking for a new job. I really hope I'm sending you the best of luck. And if you're a hiring manager trying to sift through all the applications and resumes, I wish you the best of luck to find the right candidate. All right, I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.